0: Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game.
1: Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. I am so excited for this one. Uh, We get to have another friend, a good, amazing coach, and someone that we're going to learn a lot from today, no doubt. I'm Phil Dark, your host. And with me is my brother, Paul Jobson. Paul, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, Phil. We are pushing through the beginning of school and excited about all things that come with that, sport related and Warrior Way ramping up and all those awesome things. But super excited about our guest today as well and uh, what we're going to learn from him. But before that, how are how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know,
1: it was interesting yesterday. I, I came home from you know working working yesterday and. Becca, my wife, Becca had a text out, text chain out. And my son had started using her phone with some of his teammates. And it was a great lesson for my son about the dangers of texting. And, you know, the fact that, especially in a group chain, when people are going back and forth and everyone's going, the timing of it could be really bad as far as you saying something. And it could appear to be responding to something when it was actually responding to something earlier. Um, He's 12. So it's my youngest and he doesn't have a phone. So good thing it was on my wife's phone as well. But basically what happened was one of his friends who's not on his team was part of the chain for some reason with his teammates. He's talking trash. And he said at one point, well, guys, it's not like Justin doesn't carry your team. Right. And Justin was responding to something earlier about how his buddy played on two different teams. And he said, it's true, broskies or something like that. (laughs) And. It appeared he was saying that he carried the team and he was in tears. He's like, that's not what I was meant. That's not what I was responding to. And he's like, I don't want them to think that I need them. I like, you know, like, obviously I don't. And, but it was, it was a very cheap lesson for him, you know? And so we, we taught him how to handle it. And he went and talked with him. He texted his coach first and said, Hey coach, just so you know, this is what happened. And I just want you to know what actually happened. And then, then he went and talked with each of his teammates about it at the practice and I said, you as a captain could also use this as a, you know, bigger lesson and talk to the whole team about it and how this happened and just so they know. And so he went to practice. He didn't talk to the whole team, but he talked to each of the guys and he said, I didn't want to bring it out to the whole team. I didn't want to make it a big deal if it if it wasn't yet. So, but it was really good, you know, because we talked about that, you know, that tech offseason talk that we had. And I thought it was just a good thing to, to relay to everybody else too. It's just, it happens, right? So we got a good reason to be monitoring some, what, our, what our younger kids especially are are talking about on texting but just how do we deal with those lessons not that any of us have ever dealt with that as coaches on teams with misunderstandings on text but yeah i know we talked about one of them paul so anyway so that was a that was a really cool thing yesterday that i thought was was timely in in our conversations that we've had here anyway so that's good and just got back from nashville with my uh with my kiddos with the two of my girls and it was awesome just a great trip to to be able to spend some time with them so how's the jobson home with Marcy back in the, the saddle
2: and everything everything good back to back to normal school things are back to, things are back to normal kids are done crying all day long because dad's running the house you know things yep. are things are better so but uh, i will say one of the greatest features apple has added to the phone is the reply to text, like you can select the certain text and reply to it. That's a great, that's been a great feature for me because I've been caught in that loop before in our large family dynamics, large text, but yeah, things here are great. Almost back to normal school sports, all things almost normal. So things are, things are running along pretty good. So I'm excited to hear later uh, about your Nashville trip as well. So we'll get to that maybe offline.
1: <laughs> Offline, you know, I mean, we could have an entire episode about it, but it probably wouldn't get too many downloads. So we're not going to. Yeah, we got to get to
2: our we got to get to our guest today. We teased Aren't, very exactly, early. We got this great guest. It's exactly. going to be an awesome show. And we talked for like three minutes, and he's. You know, I know. We may not I get know. to him. I don't know. I think we
1: will. I think we will. Okay. We do. We have Patrick Gilliam. He's uh, the Wheaton women's soccer coach. Just he's become a good friend through a lot of different things we're doing together, and uh, I'm just excited to. To be able to, to have this conversation, get deep into to who he is and to be able to understand what, he's, what he can teach us and what he has learned in his career. So, Patrick, how are you doing? Doing well.
0: It's uh, kind of that crazy time of year when uh, the fall season really gets going. We've had the Division three level. We get a really short, short training camp experience, but had that about a week and a half ago. And uh, classes began last Wednesday, and then we scrimmaged at a preseason. We actually had two scheduled and don't know if you caught wind of we had about a 100 degree day here last wednesday and it was 125 on our turf and so uh the scrimmage last uh, wednesday did get canceled but we scrimmaged on saturday second opponent and we get going with open opening tournament here on campus this friday and saturday so really diving into it it happens pretty quickly
2: yeah and by the way Texas, we just sent we just kind of sent Texas to the Midwest for yes. a few minutes because we needed some relief. So you're welcome for that. But I think it's all come back now. So. I
0: think it gave me some empathy for I had heard about it all summer long. And I was like, what is it really like when it's that warm? And, and I <laughs> be careful what you what you ask. You know? well, my wife and I have agreed. I have a car that's 13 years old. We're like, we're just going to drive it. It's a Honda. I can drive it forever. And it has no air conditioning which most of the time in Chicago you can get away with. And every summer I'm like, it's time for a new car. And then it gets to August and September. And I'm like, I made it through another summer. It has heat. I can handle it. But boy, I went out last Wednesday. I was like, okay, this is not a day to have no air conditioning. Yeah.
1: I Going back to Nashville, my kids, California kids tried and true, get off the plane. And it was midnight and the humidity was at 82%. And My daughter looks at me and she goes, I could never live here within two minutes of walking out of the airport. So that was something that that we definitely experienced for them. Then it was 106 on the heat index. They also learned what the heat index is. And that was uh, another another thing. So anyway, you know, what were the things we talk about here, Patrick? And, you know, that we'll get into the Division three stuff here in a minute, too, because I think that's really interesting that a lot of people probably don't even know or understand what that looks like. But uh, I just want to hear your story. Most people listening probably don't know who you are, haven't had the uh, experience to get to know you. So just share your story, you know, how you how you developed your passion for soccer, for leadership and how you ended up coaching at Wheaton College.
0: Yeah, I grew up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, an area that was very soccer rich and started playing as uh, very young, played baseball and soccer primarily, and played up through high school. And then when it came time for college, actually my last few years of high school, I just kind of fell away from uh, athletics and uh, an athletic focus and, and away from that friend group, which can sometimes lead you the wrong way, but a lot of times having uh, being a part of a team and having uh, friends in an athletic arena can actually be a really healthy and helpful thing. I kind of fell in with a, a group that wasn't so healthy. But some of my friends who were a couple years older were beginning to play college soccer, and they were telling me about their experiences and just uh, how much from the higher level of play to the travel to just uh, representing your school. And, and I was like, that sounds like something I'd love to do, but you know, I've kind of allowed my, my game to get rusty. I've allowed, you know, I've just, I've just kind of dove into more a group of friends who were just more interested in partying and things like that. And, uh, didn't know the Lord at all. And, uh, so I just was like, I'm going to have to sell myself a little bit here. I don't have people beating down my door to recruit me, even though, you know, I've been playing my whole life. And so, I just started reaching out to colleges, and the college that uh, by far showed the most interest was a small uh, liberal arts Christian college in Chicago, uh, Judson College at the time. It's now Judson University. And the coach, I just remembered, it was just such a different level of interest and then personal attention. Went up, did a visit, really enjoyed it. Uh, again, uh, I grew up in a, in a Catholic home. So I was going to church every Sunday, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for me, I heard Christian college, I was like, I got this, you know, this is something I'm familiar with and comfortable with. And, but I remember when I, on my visit, just being like, man, what a great group of guys. And, um, the community on the team just seemed really kind of unique and special and, uh, they made me feel welcome. And so I chose to, uh, attend judson and went there and across the probably had a career which i think now as a coach was very beneficial my first year i saw a very limited time i traveled to every game but uh, uh, wasn't a, a guy getting a lot of minutes i think part of it was the, the short period of time i had taken away from the game i just had to i had to sharpen uh, in so many ways and then Um, But I was very teachable. I was hungry to learn. I think I was a hard worker. And and so by my sophomore year, I was starting to get a lot of minutes. My junior year, pretty much hardly came off the field. My senior year, uh, we had the best team in my four years there and uh, started. And then about halfway through the season, lost my job to a freshman and uh, won it back. And then later in the season, tore my ACL and my career ended prematurely. And so (laughs) my college career kind of had such a wide variety of experiences that i think uh, le- now looking back hindsight's 2020 20, i think they've benefited me greatly as as a coach because i can kind of walk in the shoes and empathize pretty much with all my players no matter what their role is what i didn't mention in there um is that in halfway through my sophomore year i did come to know jesus personally as my savior and proverbial fork in the road moment changed my life drastically changed the course of so many things in my life and even how I approach soccer. And so it was around that time that I really knew because of the impact this soccer program had had on my life, I was like, I think, man, to what an amazing calling to be able to keep doing something I love, stay involved with the game. Um, But create a community and a culture that actually is holistic, like and it's having life impact on young men or young women and coaching the person as much as the player, because my college coach definitely did that. And um, so I decided to major in physical education. I decided I wanted to be a coach. And right after graduation from Judson, uh, I got a job as an English teacher and high school boys and girls coach at a small Christian high school not too far from here, from Wheaton and, uh, coached, coached and taught five years at that Christian high school. And then actually some of my players and students, so some were not even kids who played for me. They were playing basketball collegiately at Trinity International University. Uh, the position became open for, uh, both a men's and a women's coach there. And they had kind of given my name and, and, uh, Long and short, I ended up at Trinity International as um, I did did a lot of things at TIU. I was uh, the men's coach uh, for 15 total seasons when you add them up. I was the women's coach for 26 seasons. I was the athletic director for eight years. Uh, I coached baseball or uh, yeah, a little baseball, basketball, softball along the way. I was a sports information director, um, did a lot in my time at Trinity. And was kind of getting to a point in the last few years at Trinity. I wasn't upset there. I wasn't disenchanted. I, I still felt very called to coaching, but it was kind of like, what's the next step? I just felt the Lord kind of being like, what's the next step? Like, have you done everything you're supposed to do here? And if not this, what else? Is it ministry? Um, uh, Very passionate about sports ministry. Is it, I'm very passionate about coaching coaches, um, and young coaches in particular, and really helping develop young women coaches. Um, I think our game lacks a lot of of female presence in head coaching positions, and so wanting to help that. And around that time, the position here at Wheaton became open, um, and I had a couple close friends that had connections to Trinity and Wheaton say, we think you should apply for this job. And I've said this to some people, you know, Phil and Paul, I think this is great. When you, Anytime you're applying for a job that you, quote unquote, don't have to have, it's the greatest thing in the world. Like I was not upset at Trinity. I wasn't like, I got to get out of here and, and this is just the end. And I was very happy where I was and very settled, um, but kind of wondering, Lord, is there something else? And so in the interview process, it was just easy. I was like, it's not going to be any good for Wheaton. If I try to be something I'm not, it's not going to be any good for me. Just be who you are. And if that's what they need at this present time and their program's evolution, it's a good fit and and likely they'll hire you. And if it's not, that's better for everybody too. And uh, in December of 2022, uh, I was uh, hired as the co-chair, began in January, or December of 21, excuse me, began in January of 22. And so I'm about 18 months into my time here at Wheaton, um, beginning my second season not quite two years total on the job.
1: Yeah, you know, that, that lesson right there is massive. And I talk to people all the time when they say, how do you interview? And I said, just be yourself. Just be who you are. Because if you try to answer how do you think they want you to, then they're going to hire somebody else. Not meaning right. they'll hire a different person. They'll hire not you. You're going to hire the person that was in that interview that was answering differently than who you are. And that's not what anyone wants. And if it's a fit with who you are, you know, and you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you, right? I mean, that's that's something people forget too. Is it got to be a fit both ways? And usually, when it's a fit one way, it's a fit the other way. So I'm glad you you kind of hit, hit that side note there. That was, I think, very very good there. So yeah, you know, I I, I love all those little twists and turns and just coaching a million different things. I love that story. It's like it's just like, hey, whatever we need at any given time. That's ministry right there. I mean, that's a great, you know, if you ever, you know, going into sorcery, that's there. I remember the first mission trip I went on, I played volleyball, baseball, soccer. It was a soccer trip, but they needed players on all these teams. So let's just do whatever. Sure. Why I was on the music team. I sang, I did the drama, you know, whatever they need, let's do it. So I love that. So, so Patrick, what you know, with all of that and what you're doing, I mean, we've talked to the, you know, it's weaving in and out of the story, you know, what's that personal life purpose, your why that you have and, and how are you living that yeah. out?
0: I would say for me, and this would be uh, your and your question was definitely about my personal life purpose. But uh, I feel like what I would say is our program's purpose very much intertwines with my personal like life purpose. And A few years ago, I I really thought about this um, and I had a mentor talk to me about purpose and objective, probably somewhere along the line. I'll use the phrase like both. And I want a both hand program. I, I think kids have to settle many times at the college level for either or like amazing team community. And we just don't take the soccer very seriously or man, I'm learning. My soccer IQ is growing. The practice and training sessions are phenomenal. Everything's tight in regard to how we approach the game, but it's a toxic environment and there's cancerous personalities and there's drama everywhere. And, and so either or, I think so many kids have to settle for one or the other, both and is what I wanted, but I, I'm so thankful for good coaching mentors who just challenge you to say, uh, this coaching mentor said, what if you had to choose one? And like any pig-headed coach, I was like, no, I want both. And they're like, what if he had to choose one? And what he was trying to drive me to was the idea that it can't just be kind of like, there has to be something that's bigger than soccer, because what if soccer is taken away? And what if soccer? And and the way he got me was he was right around COVID. He said, so you were a college soccer coach during COVID, but there was no game. And if it's only about the X's and O's, what were you going to do? You know, there was nothing left, but, and and in a second, I'll share my purpose. And when I think about where he got me to land is, my purpose could be done during a pandemic because it was bigger than the game. And where he also got me is he said, if, if you stand in front of your team and you talk about your program's purpose and your purpose being all on field related, what about the girl who just tore ACL? You know she's she's standing there going i'm not gonna play for nine months and i i can't even contribute to the the program achieving its purpose and and then he said what about the girl this is even tougher she's not even injured but she just can't get on the field she's just where she's at on the depth chart right now she's not getting a lot of minutes she begins to wonder does it even matter if i show up because the program's purpose is all on field related and i'm not contributing on the field and so for me uh phil i said i went with the great commission and the great commandments i was like i'm not a deep theologian i love scripture passionate about it but i'm like i'm not seminary trained or anything like that but i was like these things were called the great commission and the great commandments they must be really really important and to love god with all of our heart soul mind strength to love our neighbor as ourself and then to go and make disciples so I would say that the purpose of my life is to use soccer to bring glory to God through living out the great commandments and the great commission. And the way we sum it up for our players is we say love, discipleship, multiplication, Um, love for God, love for neighbor, discipleship, life on life, sharpening of each other, helping us grow through the sanctification process, and then multiplication. I had a mentor, a guy named Scotty Kessler, who just talked about uh, when you coach, the exponential multiplication of the kingdom is crazy. Like, he's like, you literally as one human being can affect hundreds of thousands of people. And it's just I mean, he has this chart that's just fascinating. And it's like, in a 30 year career, you could touch the lives of hundreds of thousands of people indirectly by just being a a division three college soccer coach. That's, that's, that's amazing to me. So, so that would be my purpose, I think. And I think, we would say it's our program's purpose. Hopefully, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's right there at the end. Maybe you said it's my
2: purpose, and I hope that it's you know the program's purpose. And that you know, as coaches, you know, our programs usually reflect who we are. And uh, as we know in leadership, you need to know who you are first, mm-hmm. right before you got to lead yourself before you can lead others. And I just love how you've how you've approached that. So you know, I'm 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 excited and encouraged by by what you're what you're saying there, Patrick tell us a little bit, um, you know, division three soccer, division three sports present some interesting things that are different. So there's some advantages, maybe some disadvantages, Mm -hmm. take us kind of through the the pros and cons of coaching at, at like, at the division three, three level.
0: I, uh, I would say I'll start, I'll start with this. Um, is I'm still so new here that I'm like, like, when I, when I thought about this question, I thought, I thought, uh, there's going to be somebody who's a lifer at the division three level. Who's going to say, boy, he butchered that one. You know, it's like, um, here's here's what I'd say about it. Like I do think what allows me to answer your question, Paul, a little bit, maybe more interestingly, is I'm coming from a level of NAI, which probably resembles more division two and division one. And maybe even right. Some would say there's even, there's even less boundaries there, but overall I felt like, there were boundaries, um, but they were the drastic difference, I think, between NAI and D3. It gives me, in some ways, a chance to answer this question well, and in some ways, I'm still new and naive to it. So uh, one thing I think is it's an incredibly student-friendly environment. When we talk about student-athletes, we we call them that, but, uh, you know, the Division three focus is definitely on the student-athlete. A lot of the the compliance rules and the different standards and that then print and kind of boundaries that are in place are put there to preserve the academic experience for the student and and it's just kind of first and foremost one of the biggest things well that fits even though I was coaching at an NAI institution the student aspect of their student athlete lives outside of the spiritual was by far the most important thing to me so it's almost like the transition there has been seamless and easy because. I'm working with a really gifted student here. I'm working with a student that has a huge, deep priority of their classroom experience. That's very important to all the ladies that I'm coaching. And so that just fits so well with my own philosophy about why you're here in the first place. You are here to, to, to study and to, and to get a degree and to uh, prepare for a vocation in life after college. And so the student friendly focus, I think, is big. One that I have loved is because they're not being compensated financially to play their sport it has been very refreshing to know that pretty much anybody on my team wants to be there they're not there because hey this makes things a little bit less expensive for my family or i really like the gear or you know i mean it's like they want to play because it it just was surreal i think the first time i i got a commitment from a recruit to be like you're you're playing soccer because you want to you want to play collegiately and you you're signing up you know at a place like here where we play a very highly competitive schedule we'll do a, some decent amount of traveling we expect a, a good commitment from them it's like you're signing up to do a lot and you're not being technically compensated for it and so that that is wonderful to just see a young person who's that committed to wanting to do it and and doing it i think with pure motives and, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, the limited calendar with our players, that would be my answer about the negative. But I think people's mind would naturally go to X's and O's time. And I think hopefully what, even with some of the other questions that I've already answered, the limited calendar here is hard for me because of the desire I have to really create a unique and special community. And sometimes the, <laughs> the boundaries and the rules, I'm just sure. like, I just want to sit down and study a book with my team. You know, it's like, I'm not trying to, you know, take them out on the practice field for hours that that go outside the bounds of what we're supposed to do. I just want to, and and I'm learning those new rules every day. You know, sometimes even like what we're able to provide to an incoming student athlete until they're actually here on campus. We can only do certain things. There's things that aren't allowed. and, And it's like, all I'm thinking, you know, Phil and Paul is just how do I integrate I mean this year i have 14 new players the after after my first season we had 11 seniors i had 10 i had 11 returning players so last winter i had 11 players in the program so i have 14 new players well my heart all spring and summer was how do i integrate these two groups and begin to grow community there were some boundaries just by ncaa d3 compliance that get in the way of doing that and so my heart wasn't to, to get time on the field with them. My heart was like, I just want to grow community and culture in our program. And at the NAI level, or maybe I'm not as familiar with D1 and D2, my guess is I would have that space to do it. And at D3, it's a little harder.
2: Yeah. The, the, the time restrictions. I mean, if you talk to any coach on, at any level the, the time restrictions on players is, is something I, I hear time and time again for different reasons and, you know, competitive advantages and and this and that development of players. Um, but what I don't hear enough is I just want to be able to pour more into my players. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's refreshing to, to hear that. And I know that every level there's different restrictions and, and things that coaches have with their players. But I think to the true, the true nature of us as coaches, that should be, you know, our biggest thing. And of course, as coaches, one of the best ways you can really bond with a player that's a, a soccer player is, is sometimes on the pitch, mm-hmm. you know, too. So there's a trust that can be. Um, I don't want to say earned, but trust that can be uh, developed um, through those times as well. But I actually love hearing that is refreshing (laughs) that that motivation behind it. And, and, and through that conversation, you, you kind of answered this question, but what is it about Wheaton that that makes them different or makes your program different? You've kind of mentioned a little bit, but go in a little bit more depth of like, what is it that makes Wheaton different than, than, than other programs? What makes them stand out?
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is obviously anybody who's kind of been in the college soccer world and, and the smaller college soccer world. Um, would know that this has been a program that over the years has had a a, a, quite a bit of success um you know three ncaa titles they were they were in the early 2000s so it's been a little while but at the same time you have that rich legacy and one coach pete felsky for 34 years and so Mm -hmm. one coach for an entire history of a program and obviously just loads of success in his time here and so and since being here i have recognized that wheaton is very committed to having strong athletic teams like that from facilities to allowing us to recruit and do the things we need to do to the budgeting things like that like i'm just very impressed that hey there's a commitment to we want our student athletes to have a quality experience and be competitive on the field so there's one prong number two the academic rigor just one of the best academic institutions, uh, small liberal arts uh, schools in the country. And I when I first got here, I sat with every player for an hour. And, you know, you're with 20 or I think there were 18 when I got here. And I sat with all of them for at least an hour. And, you know, I, I've even told them this. I said, I'm not stereotyping your generation, but I'm like, I thought I would hear somebody complain about their their classroom experience and they (laughs) rave about the faculty and they they just can't say enough good things I just had a player in here a few minutes ago before we started and she's talking about this professor she has for Old Testament and she's just like she just couldn't stop talking about the class so the academic rigor the challenge of it our players say like this place busts their chops I mean it's hard and the academic rigor and then the spiritual legacy it's not about names but you know when you are at an institution where billy graham attended and john piper and jim elliott and you know some legends of the faith not to mention countless probably hundreds and thousands of other people that are serving christ and his kingdom all over the country and world i mean i've heard alumni say it in my short time here like when you can put those three prongs together and you are a talented student athlete who really wants a high quality classroom experience, wants to compete on the field, but deeply loves Jesus and wants that to be part of their experience. Wheaton checks all those boxes.
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for you to be able to go and, and sit down with a family and say, hey, we're going to compete at the highest level academically. You're going to get a great education, mm-hmm. right? We compete at the highest level, you know, athletically. And, and at the same time, we're doing it as a faith-based institution, right. so the, the the core of who we are shines through in everything that that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, I'm sure it's one of those things where you get you get kids on campus, uh,
0: you're you're probably getting a commitment. I would say it's so funny. It's so funny, Paul, so funny, <laughs> Paul you say that because like, you know, when you're new, right? You, I'm sure it was that way at Trinity. You know, you hear from people who have been here a while, and I'm like, I I, I looked around. I'm looking out my window right now. I'm like. I can recruit to this place, you know? I mean, <laughs> there are just so many amazing things about it that, um, yeah, and there are challenges, just like there would be at any place to recruit to, And but one of the first things that I thought about was were some of what you shared, you know, when rarely does a student come on campus and not say, wow, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it feels collegial, it feels bigger than a 2,500-student school, and yet, I'm known and people care about me and I'm being pushed and challenged in the classroom. And and like you said, it's all under the umbrella of for Christ and his kingdom, which is, is just outstanding.
2: Yeah. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit too. I mean, I'm, you know, Marcy and I are extremely passionate about merging faith and sport and something that, you know, we're, we're doing through our warrior way soccer program. Like how do you incorporate your faith through your, through your coaching?
0: Yeah. Um, this I've been asked this question before and I'm going to what I'll do is I'll give I'll give an answer that I generally give and if you guys think hey let's dive into that more specifically and deeply because I think for a long time I would have answered with various like components of our program things that we do and and I think that might be valuable even for this kind of arena, a podcast interview like this. So if it is, I can go there in a second. I think what I have in the last few years kind of come across is like, I think it's important for me to, at the core, be a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. I mean, just the disciplines of, you know, scripture has been a passion for me for about 15 years now. I just, about 15 years ago, I was like, it has to become a core discipline to where, even if it's not always in memorization and things like that, it's just like the hunger for the word and all that it brings to my life is gotta be something that's, that's there. If you're going to be leading 25 to 30 college age students through four of the most important years of their life, you have to be grounded in that way. And so, but about two years ago, I came across right before actually the move here, ironically, I was like, man, my prayer life is just, it's not where it needs to be. And prayer is another discipline. And so I think my answer would be the way that I most readily incorporate faith into what I do as a coach here is to uh, invest heavily in my own personal relationship with Jesus, just that I am deeply committed to him and following him. And then what happens is, and again, happy to go into other side, like actual practical areas, but what happens then is when a player who's struggling with playing time walks in my office. That conversation is has been covered in prayer. That conversation has um, it's seasoned with the way Jesus would handle a, a conversation like that. And I think uh, an assistant coach of mine a few years ago, when I was at Trinity, he was my assistant coach for almost for over twenty years, um, and then he, he and his wife took a job at another college, and so many nights driving places to recruit and just back from games and he was like what do you want for our program the most and i said i want depth and intentionality i said i don't want a shallow college soccer program like and and i and i don't know if i've ever been able to define that fully but i'm like i want kids to finish playing and be like they talk about the on field and before they can kind of finish talking about their on field experience they start talking about well, my coach cared about me as a person and he invested in me holistically. And before they finished there, they're like, but I had teammates and coaching staff that were discipling me. And I actually grew in my faith in my time there and my soccer IQ grew and they, they can't finish one story because the the program had a holistic impact on their life. And I think that starts with me making sure that I am really richly and deeply walking with the Lord. And then that there is a depth and intentionality. We had a new freshman in yesterday. I was talking to her and she's like, I'm just kind of blown away because everything, it seems like everything is really intentional here. Like you're trying like to, there, there's a purpose behind everything we do. And so that would be my, my 20,000 feet in the air answer, I guess, practically, we have discipleship small groups. I did not want those to be time for players sitting around just shooting the breeze. That can generally kind of turn into like really bad things. Um, and so, in my two years here, last year I handled it. I now have a grad assistant who's passionate about discipleship, handling it. We wrote curriculum, um, so they are in the Word together. But it's not this rigid Bible study. It's they're reading Scripture together they're processing it together, but then they're also talking about, well, how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to, you know, my life as a Wheaton student athlete, how does it apply to our team right now? So that would be one way, but just, I think that that idea that I am a Christian man who happens to coach a college soccer team. So really, really just focusing so intently on being a Christian man who's very dedicated to his savior and to his God and, and then in that, it just becomes an outflowing of what I do, how I handle the conversation about playing time, how I handle the day that I come to practice and we look like we're, we're dead. We don't, we don't look like we even want to be there. We look apathetic. Well, there's lots of ways. You guys know this. You're good coaches. You guys know. It. There's lots of ways to handle an apathetic team. Uh, but I think there's probably a way to handle it that could teach a spiritual and a life lesson that's way different than get on the line because you're just really upsetting me today and uh, you're not doing what I want you to do. So I apologize if that's not the direction, you know, because it's not super like, no, what we do every day. And this is, we have small groups and we do this, but like, for me, it's depth and intentionality and making sure I'm where I need to be. And then it's just flowing out of everything I do. I mean, every conversation, a halftime talk is seasoned with, how God would want me to handle that.
2: Yeah. I think, I think what's important there is, is, you know, for our coaches that listen to this podcast is that you've got to remember you can't give something you don't have. Right. So as you're saying, you're, you're filling yourself with, uh, with the word and and you're being disciplined and you're get, you're, you're gaining depth and intentionality in your own relationship with Christ. And uh, you can't give that to others if you don't have it. And I think it's a great lesson for our coaches that are on here that, that, that crave that or trying to figure out how to, how to do that. You can't implement it if you don't have it yourself. So I think it's a great lesson for, for our coaches. And I I love, I think we miss intentionality, uh, a lot. And, um, I I would say you probably, I don't know this, I'm speaking probably out of turn, but sometimes you may walk away feeling like you've missed an opportunity to get better from a soccer perspective because the God perspective took precedent you know, and your soccer coach, part of you is like, Oh man, did I miss an opportunity for us? But at the end of the day, you can sit back and rest on the fact that if God took control of that, your team got better, you you know? And, um, so I, I love the perspective. Phil, I'd love to hear your insight on that too.
1: Yeah. I I was going to say, there's no, nothing to apologize for there, man. That was awesome. (laughs) That was, uh, that was a fantastic, um, reminder. Like you said, Paul, just, it's it's so crazy. You got to start with self leadership. You got to start with that self that your your relationship with the Lord. If you can't give that, you can't you can't lead in in uh, incorporate faith into coaching if you don't if you're not solid in it, right? You know, it's uh, it's like going back to you know Timothy and and Titus talking about the the deacons and elders. It's like you, you know you got to make sure your house is in order first. If your house is in order, you can't give to others. And so that, that's something I absolutely love that. One thing I would like to hear is because I know that there's so many coaches that struggle when there's conflict within the team. Either you have, you know, you kind of talk about the the uh, peacemaking continuum. There's peace faking and there's peace breaking. And, and certain personality styles are more prone to do breaking and certain personality styles are prone to do faking. And oftentimes in Christian teams in particular, that peace faking is that like you know, we have a nice problem on our teams where everyone just doesn't want to engage it because well, that's not the Christian thing to do. We gotta just pretend that everything's okay. How do you engage that and, and engage that healthy conflict within the team to encourage that to say, look, the only way we're gonna be the best we can be, not just as a team but as humans, is if we engage conflict well and in a proper uh way. How do you, how do you how are you
0: able to engage that with your team? So and and I feel like I can be transparent about this, like like, respectful of my, my team. It's, it's, it's unique. Like, if I'm doing this interview year 26 at Trinity, I'm like, I'm opening the coffers. It's like, here, here's all of our stuff. Right. You know, because it's like, I've been here longer than any of you players. Whereas here, you know, I still kind of feel like there's players playing for me this season that have been here longer at Wheaton than me, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. but I think they'd be totally cool with me sharing this. So when I got here, I think one of the things, I remember in those first interviews, I heard from a player, I heard this from several players. I said, you know, tell me about your 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 soccer experience here at Wheaton. And, and one girl said, I like my teammates. I don't know my teammates very well. And that was a super revealing comment to me. And I heard whether said exactly that way, I heard it said several times. And so one of the things I went after pretty quickly was like this idea of like, we have to be willing to be transparent and vulnerable and we have to be willing to have conversations that are, um, right. The, I think you may have said it, Phil, and I say it all the time, but like difficult conversations, I had a mentor say, if you just change that to crucial conversations, it totally changes our attitude about it. It's like, like that conversation you were describing conflict within the team or within a group of players or two players or player and coach, those are crucial conversations. And if we say crucial, we don't run from it. We actually kind of run towards it because we're like, this is this is for the good of the team. This is going to make us a better unit. This is going to um, make us a better testimony, right? Well, I think part of how we handle difficult conversations in a Christian environment is really vital because we can look a lot like the world many times and from gossip to to slander, to d- different things and routes we take, to bitterness and lack of forgiveness, and these are all things that Scripture clearly says we shouldn't be. Yet, we can take conflict many times and look very much like the world. And so, so the story. What I I would say, Phil, the the number one answer I give is is that training. We read a book together last spring as a team that dove pretty heavily into this and loved this moment. So I only had 11 returners. So our leadership meetings in the spring were, in some ways they were really cool because they were kind of quaint and small, right? And like, you'd be like, oh, you broke your team up into groups. No, that was my entire team last spring. With <laughs> and so um, we sat in a room and went through this book and, and a couple of the chapters were about your very question. And being still somewhat new, I remember I said, I said let's just be honest. How do you guys handle moments like that? You know, and I I had watched them. I had been with them by this point just over a year and I had been through a competitive season with them and um, a season where at one point we were down to 14 field players, you know, because of injuries and they dealt with a lot of adversity. And so I said, how do you handle situations like that? I said, how do you guys think you do with them? And one of the, rising seniors she's one of our captains now she raises her hand she goes i just think we don't have those conversations <laughs> she's like she was just <laughs> blunt. i said how do you do with those conversations and she goes well in my time we just we just basically don't have them and uh loved her honesty and it made right it lighten the room and then we dove heavily into why it's important and how do we how do we deal with it and i think um my second part of my answer phil would be if love discipleship multiplication is my purpose where i hang the the really tough conversation with a girl is is i hang it on the love like hook i say that's that's me loving you i love you enough to say hey i think you 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 should hear this and i would i want our relationship to be based in those types of things love and discipleship that we can hear hard things from each other because they're actually sharpening us and making us better. And that goes the other way too. I, as your coach, I mean, you guys both have coached, you can be at a place 30 years and you make mistakes when you're in a place in your first year. I never felt more 22 years old than I did a year ago. (laughs) I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like my first high school season all over again, except I'm at Wheaton college and they're expecting a lot more out of me, you know? And I'm, I'm like the twenty-two-year-old high school coach all over again, you know, who's screwing things up every day, and um, it, it. I need to be okay with my players having those conversations and saying, "Hey, you know, maybe we should try this," and that's not working. And but yeah, a lot there I kind of spewed, but I loved when she just raised her hand and she's like, "Yeah, in the past we just haven't had those conversations," and so yeah. it allowed us to really, you know, have a light moment, but say, "Okay." how do we put an end to that because we're going to be a healthier team if we're willing to have those
1: yeah you know I, and i've worked with a lot of schools and that's not rare that's 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 the rule at, at most places which is why if we can come in as coaches and be able to as you said disciple love them in our conversations with them disciple them to have those conversations with each other um, what a massive thing to be able to engage in the world and, and in marriages and parenting, like this is so important. And, you know, and that's what, as a coach, I'm like, if I can help a little bit in those things, it, it hopefully, I wish I would have known this stuff when I was their age. And so that's kind of a lot of what I go do is what, what would I wanted to know <laughs> back then? What would it help yep. me? And help me avoid some of the problems I had, you know, and, uh, I probably tend toward the peace breaking side and, uh, you know, just engage it. We just got to engage it, you know, and my wife's on the opposite and I learned very quickly that doesn't work if you don't meet people where they are. So that's the flip side
0: is, well, we have them
1: and it's just war all the time. Well, that's not good either. Right. So how do we engage these things in ways that are
0: reconciliatory? When we were having the conversation, the book we were in talked about, um, and and that you just made me really think of this. So once that we kind of had that moment and then dove more heavily into that chapter and this topic, the book focused heavily on the idea that if it's the three of us, Paul has one style of dealing with conflict and Phil has one and Patrick has one. And we can just assume that everybody has the same one as us. And that's, that just creates more conflict. And then one of the things it talked about was that, um, a lot of people in moments like you're describing, Phil, they put pillows around everything. That's the key maker, right? Like how many pillows can I, I'm going to tell you something, I think you should know, and I should probably hold you accountable, but I'm going to put a hundred pillows around it. And by the time I actually give the message, I've I've softened it so much that it really hasn't, it, ha- it hasn't sent the message that it needed to send. And so it was neat because we have some ladies on our team that are, they're big pillow people, you know, they're like, Hey, I want to make this as painless as possible, but I actually do need to probably call you out on something, but I'm going to make it as painless as possible. And we talked about how that doesn't really get us anywhere. We're just spinning our wheels when we do that. No, I like, I like that. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And I think there's a whole, a
2: whole, a whole podcast. We sit and talk about that and, Later, when we talk about books, you know, you got to tell us the name of that book. You keep referring to yep. this book and you won't tell us the name of it. Yeah, so let's I know. hold it, it's to, the let's hold it to the end. Let's hold it to the end. Let's make let, let people hold on for okay. that uh cuz you're making us hold on you know this great I, book it was awesome for our team it was awesome best book ever I'm not going to tell you the name <laughs> i can tell you the name so if you don't know the name if you can't remember it patrick i'm giving you a couple minutes to that's find right. it so you can tell us <laughs> the okay. right cuz that's how i am i'm like i remember you know, the name i got this great book i don't know the name of it i remember don't, <laughs> say, it I don't say it yet don't say it yet
1: Oh, we get the it, author okay. don't worry
2: about it we'll figure, i'll figure <laughs> out the author if you got the name
1: but hold on to it hold on to it
2: that's yeah. funny pa- Patrick, you know, I, I love what you're doing, you know, with this program and and, and what you do and who you are as a coach and, and what you're doing for your players. You know, I think obviously you've talked a little bit about your time as a player you know, in, in college and, and and the effect that maybe some coaches or that coach had had on you. I hate to say, like, tell us who your best coach was, but tell us, maybe just tell us, like, who, who was your, who, let's just say it, who was the best coach you had? Why was he or she the best coach? What did you learn from that, that person and how has that uh, affected you or shaped you and framed you into the coach you are today?
0: I would say it was my coach at Judson, Steve Burke. I think it was the first picture I had of that both and program. I had never played in a program that had a spiritual component till I went there. And I had pray, played in plenty of programs where there might be drama and conflict that went unresolved and and I played in programs that were good and I played in on teams that you know hey the we probably could have had more discipline and and more teaching and more development player development and he it was the first time I had a picture of both and it was it was like compelling <laughs> it like made me it was like it's what gave me the vision honestly of like I think I would like to do this as my life work. I mean, if it had just been, I want to stay in soccer. Well, there's lots of other ways to stay in soccer from, you know, just in as a soccer parent to um, so many other countless ways in business and things like that. And, but for me, the actual idea of like, I, I think I want to do this. I want to coach and I want to coach with a vision of, of having a program that has a purpose and an objective and the purpose is is bigger than soccer and the objective is soccer related and it's highly soccer focused because i'm not the wheaton band director i'm not leading a theater group i'm i'm a college soccer coach and so the soccer should be taken extremely seriously but the purpose is bigger than that that was the first time i had ever seen anything like that and then i had shared this earlier to that my eternity was changed in that program I mean, I was, you can go to a Christian college and find all the wrong influences. And I was doing it for my first year and a half at at Judson. I guess it's okay to say now on, on a podcast, but I probably should have been kicked out of Judson many times in my first year and a half, You know, if the rules were the rules and I wasn't following them and um, was finding the wrong influences even in a place like that. And it's just amazing that so many of my college teammates in my time there and countless other young men who played in that program are now walking with Jesus. And I think Steve Burke and that program was a big piece of shaping that. I I, I thought about evangelism and discipleship. Like that program had an evangelism uh, component too. Um, I would say I've had to do like look in the mirror and who am I as a coach and I probably fall more heavily on the discipleship component of coaching in a Christian environment, a Christian specific environment. But if there hadn't been an evangelist, then I'm not sure, where would I be today? You know, what would I be doing? Where would I, who would I be married to? How would I have raised my kids? Um, you know, I just, that Steve and that and that program at Judson um, just gave me a, a compelling picture of, man, college sports can be so much bigger than, than 80 games in a four year career, right? It can be a 50 year impact on your life. I mean, I will carry things from my Judson soccer experience with me to to the day I leave this earth. And ultimately, I'm probably imparting some of those very things into players that I coach. So I, I would say it have to be there just because of the, the vision it kind of cast for me and where it propelled me post-college. And what it led me to do.
2: Yeah. And I think a great, a great lesson to our coaches, again, listening, like don't, don't underestimate the impact that, that you may not even know that you're having on, on your players. And sometimes as coaches, we feel the resistance because we see we've all coached the players that seem to just don't get it at first, right? They're getting in trouble or they don't get the academic piece, or you know maybe there's, they're having problems at home. And as a coach, you feel that that resistance Uh, but as coaches i think the the message there is like you got to persevere through that and you got to push through for those student athletes right and just don't under underplay the impact that you may not even know that you're having on on your players well said yeah, you know, and, and
1: uh, you, you, you t- touched on some of these things earlier on when you were kind of going through your story, but, you know, what what is one, if you had one defining moment, maybe you have a couple, but what is one defining moment in your soccer career as a player? You know, why was it so in fact impactful?
0: What did you learn for it? How are you using it today? Yeah. <laughs> I'm smiling, laughing because like people ask you that question, and then what do you say? Oh, I've got two. uh So you ask for one, I'm gonna give you two. Uh, <laughs> If
1: you got two, but, you can do two. I, well, well, that's why. I
0: think they relate.
2: Totally over delivering yes. today, man. I love it. Just over delivering. Just do love
1: just it. do one. That's that the two that are related, and then can make it. Into
0: that's, one. What yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do. You know All right. the Good. tricks Good. of the trade, Good. so. I would say I would say my sophomore year when I accepted Christ because, well, I'll kind of at the end say why the two relate to this and what they've taught me, I think, and what I use now as a coach. So up until that point, I was very much a, a victim of how I played. If I played well, I was on top of the world. If I had a poor match, I, my self-worth and my kind of opinion of myself and just my mood, everything was affected by that every piece of my core identity was driven by how I played on the field. And so when I accepted Christ, that didn't get solved immediately and it never really gets solved. I still, I'm about to play my first match on Friday and I'm sure I will wrestle with identity over the next three months for sure. But for the first time ever, when you were, when you recognize that, Hey, I'm a child of God who's loved unconditionally by him and he's cared enough to send his son to die for me. And, that promise is eternal life. It, it changes like how you view a soccer match. And do I find all my worth through that? So that would be, I think that has to be there. The second one would be when I tore my ACL my senior year, because it was a career ending injury. You know it, you know, when it happens, you're like, this is it. The timetable doesn't work. I'm done. But I was I'm trying to do the math. I was just under two years into my Christian walk so it was the first really hard thing that i had to go through as a follower of christ because i would never it's not prosperity theology but honestly when i got when i got saved and soccer began to take its proper place in my priorities my playing actually got better and my minutes went up and my contributions to the team my my junior and senior year were much greater than, than my first couple years and so it was kind of like Right, an infant Christian. You know, I'm like, hey, I accepted Jesus, and look at my life since then. You know, it's just skyrocketing. And then you have this injury, and it was the best team we had ever had in the history of the school. I had, I had won my spot back. I was playing. We were doing well, and it's done. It's over. You're on the sideline. You're chasing balls at practice, and you know, on crutches, and knowing you're facing surgery and all of that. So it was the first time my faith was tested, and. I think the two overarching lessons that I bring to my coaching from those moments, the identity piece, boy, kids today wrestle with their identity in the wrong place so much. And it is, it's probably the biggest thing that I face as a coach and mentor and leader is, is just helping them try to get a grasp on like, this is where your identity should really be grounded. And so having wrestled with that pre salvation, having wrestled with that when it was like, I can't play anymore. I'm, what do I matter to this team? Um, That's been helpful. And then the injury component, I coach on the women's side primarily, you know, now, obviously, and for most of my career have, I had 14 incoming players, guys. Uh, I had three ACL tears in the class before they got here. So I have three freshmen who aren't playing right now. One is she's getting close to returning because she tore it last November. But the other two, it was this spring and summer, so they're not even gonna play this year. And one is said one has been very open and honest. It's just like very talented player, and she's like, I've never been injured before. And I this is it's playing havoc with my mind. And so to have walked the road of an ACL tear and recovery and surgery and just being injured, having your career ended on an injury, that's been helpful. I, I think it's really it helps when you sit down with a kid who's just gotten the MRI results to be able to say, "Hey, I've, I've done this."
2: Yeah, that's those are those are great. And you mentioned at the very beginning too, you know, you kind of finished with it there. Is that you know the the, the experiences that you have uh, earlier in life? In hindsight, now you look back at it. Maybe in a moment, you're like, "Why in the world?" <laughs> you know, and now you can look back and and say, "Okay, if not for any other reason." right now I can take those experiences and, and really be a better coach uh, for, for the, my players in this moment. Um, and I think it's a really, really, really special thing to be able to take into that, if that, if that is
0: a, a perspective that you have. So and it builds your faith and, too, because yeah. you sit as a follower of Christ and you go, Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I'm reading a lot of Esther right now. And it's like, you know, when I'm reading it, that's the thing that I'm kind of coming across is like all these events, right. They, the big thing you hear all the time about that book is God's name is never mentioned, not once Mm. in the book, but he's all over the book, you know? And so it's like when you're a senior and you tear your ACL and you're, and you're having your team's having the best season it's had in the history of the school. And you're like, I'm not a part of it. You're like, what in the world, God? I mean, this is, a, this is what a loving God does. And then you sit 25, 30 years later and you're like, I had a mom of one of our ACL girls just say like, you know, your reaction when she called you was so helpful for her, you know? And I wasn't doing anything but just being like, hey, I've been there before. I wasn't doing anything special. I was just saying, hey, I've been there before. So that's such a faith builder, Paul, for me. Like when I can look back and say, yeah, God, you were pulling all the strings. You know, there's no coincidences.
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. And uh, what a special thing. And that, that player's calling you thinking, coach is going to cut me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: not interested in me anymore. I'm no longer useful to the program. And then as soon as probably built up minutes and hours of like the courage to call you and then instantly it's like, hey, I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I've been there. Right. And uh, what a great relief for, for those folks. So as my uh, as my good friend Phil Dark always says, every good thing must come to an end, and we're running down to the the, the bottom of this program. And uh, we always finish with a couple of uh, questions uh, that are the same throughout the program. Um, so we're going to hit you with those as well. And excited that towards the end we're going to hear the name of this book, hopefully. Uh, but before <laughs> we get to that, uh, <laughs> Patrick, how are the lessons? You talked a lot about how you the lessons you you've learned uh, through soccer back into soccer, but, uh, how have you used the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer? How have you used those lessons in your marriage and parenting?
0: Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, I, I think the, the number one way that I do that, I'm fascinated by teams. I, I hadn't said that yet. I usually, in this kind of context would say that, like, I love, I love teams. I, I think I would struggle to coach an individual sport or I just love the idea of all these people coming from a wide variety of backgrounds and, you know, different coaches, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different diversity of culture and, and race. And, and then you come together and it's like, oh yeah, we have an opponent trying to keep us from doing something and we got to try to rally together and accomplish a goal. That's teams fascinate me and you know healthy teams dysfunctional teams all of it fascinates me well our families are teams and so right away so many of the concepts that so I would say my first answer is sometimes it's convicting I'm like things I'm preaching to my players I'm like am I doing that for my wife am I doing that for my son Mm -hmm. and daughter so there's sometimes there's just conviction because it's like you've got a great message in the locker room on Thursday, but how are you living that out? You know, later on Friday and Saturday with your number one team, right? Your number one team should be your, your spouse and your children. The second piece relates to teams is my, my, I have two, I guess one now would probably not even be young adult. I have a, you know, 23, 28 year old. And, uh, and they're both out there. They don't live at home anymore. They're in the professional world. They're working in their degrees and and that they got in college, but they're members of teams. Both just went through a recent job change. Uh, Neither performed badly, but both their businesses downsized and they had to find new jobs. And so, you know, they talking to them about resiliency, perseverance, faith, as they were evaluating different opportunities. um, Well, Think about the people you're going to work with. Think about the fit for you. And your, you know, so I got to use so many of the things we talk about in a team context and how teams work like in a soccer arena. We could apply that to their, to their lives as, as they were seeking new career fields and their relationships. Uh, Neither one of them is married yet. So they're, they're obviously dating and they have friendships and relationships and, you know, various things I would use as a coach, you know, I'm, I'm coaching college students and I'm, I'm dealing with young adults. So I, a lot of that stuff just carries over very well there.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I agree. I mean, with, with that convicting part, I think is, is huge to, to just from the standpoint of, am I just being a coach or am I a player as well, you know, and in my, am I playing it well? Uh, and oftentimes I will say I'm a much better coach than a player. Um, that's okay if it means playing striker, but it better not be okay if it uh, means being a husband or being a father or or being a coach for that right. matter. You know, I better not coach. Coaches better than I coach my players about what to do if we're not acting it out. And it goes back to what you talked about earlier. If you're not pouring into self, being in the word, praying, just you do being disciplined yourself, then then it's not going to outpour. It's not going to flow out of you naturally. Right. So, um, all right. You know, now, now we've, we have pumped this up so much for this last question. (laughs) I feel like it's going to be really, really hard, but I've no doubt you're going to, you're going to meet the expectation and beat it. I have no doubt. So what have you watched, read, or listened to? And and I hope it's not just this one, but I hope there's some other goodness coming out of Patrick here in a minute. Um, but what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and
0: leadership? <laughs> yeah, this, is, this would be a book I would not have even uh, – thinking about this question, I would not have <laughs> even put this on the list. Um, that book is, the book is called High Impact Teams and again the author escapes me right now it was recommended i heard on a podcast i heard the liberty lacrosse coach talk about it and he actually hadn't dove into it yet but i just jotted it down because always looking for a new book and what i would say is the gem of it and and i have a couple others that i think are really good too and what i think is the the genius of this book it is a book written from i guess lack of a better term a christian perspective but I loved the idea. It just didn't feel kind of like mushy and soft. Like to me, like I now sound like I've stereotyped Christian books that way. I didn't mean to, it just, it was like one of the first chapters says a really healthy team is deeply invested in relationships, but it's, it's also very concerned with results And, and, and that's easy with us to go winning, but it was like it, the author was like, you need to be productive in whatever you are. If you're a business, if you're a college soccer team, if you're the band, if you're a theater group, you know, I mean, you need to, you're equally concerned with relationships and results. And I felt like it did such a good job of like, I never felt like it drifted too far to one. Like all of a sudden you're reading and you're 10 chapters in and you're like, Oh, it's, it's kind of heavy on the relationship stuff. And it's like, well, if you don't get it done in the arena you're in, Oh well, you've got good relationships. Like it, it was a both and book, right? Like it was like the perfect mm-hmm. both and book. And 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 then when it talked about results, this is the other piece of it I would highly uh, recommend to people. Team books many times focus on team, and then people can sit in a room and discuss it, and go, yeah, you know that chapter was great. Phil really needed to hear that. And then, man, oh, man, I'm so glad the coach covered that chapter because Paul is, like, terrible at that, you know. This <laughs> book did anything that was about, like, the relational component went very heavily on look in the mirror first. And until you read it, it you have to read it to kind of – I'm not describing it well, but it, I just was amazed. It was always, like, I found the players having to look at themselves first and go, well, how is how I handle this aspect – of the relational part of our team, how am I impacting that for others instead of how are Phil and Paul impacting that for me? Like the book had some crazy way of doing that. It just made them look in the mirror a lot versus point fingers. And then it did relationships and results, which I think most books kind of drift to one side or the other with that it's all about results and or it's all about relationships and it's fluffy on the results and so um and the author even says at the beginning this book is not meant to be read by a person it's meant to be discussed in groups and i found it was very productive Mm -hmm. for it was very productive for doing that so
1: and and our producer which is my phone just informed me that Lance Witt is the right. author of that. Book. That's correct. And um, a couple wrote the foreword as well. It looked like, but um, what you know, I, I speed round. What are uh, what are the books that you would have thought about yeah. other than High Impact Teams? The
0: Christian Athlete by Brian Smith. I feel like it's it's as close to a, kind of like a theology of sport as anything I've seen in a while, like he dives heavily into the idea of what we're really after as a Christian athlete is contentment. We want to be content in our sport. We want to play free, like you'll hear that phrase a lot. He deals heavily with the identity and there's some amazing chapters on injury in there. Um, so the Christian athlete uh, would be one. The best leadership book I've I've read, um, I still say this, bought it for my captains, my first two sets of captains here at Wheaton. It's called leadership as an identity by crawford laritz um it's a book that many times you'll say that and people are like i've never seen that book and here's why i love it um when i was at trinity he would teach a one-week class at the seminary on leadership and i would hear about this and um they they would always say like if you don't get online and register in, in two minutes it's full and he, he would always be there every spring. He would, he would preach in chapel and it's a pretty well-known pastor. He had done a lot with promise keepers over the years. And so this book is actually all his notes from that class. It's basically his class mm. in book form. And he says, there are four components. So he says, first of all, Christian leadership is at the intersection of a person, God, and, and like a problem or something to solve like. There's a reason. There's a there's a rationale, a, a very available person, and a God and creator. And at the intersection of those three is where Christian leadership really takes place. But he says there are four distinctive things about a Christian leader. And here's why I love the book. This is probably why a lot of people don't know about it. He says, number one, first and foremost, the best leaders are broken. And that just doesn't sell on New York Times <laughs> other leadership lists, right? It's, yeah, I want to be broken. And then he says, uh, Uncommon Communion with God, Servant Leadership, and Radical Immediate Obedience. And Mm -hmm. the coolest part of the book is he says those four things, and he never really spells it out for you. But if you stop and think, Brokenness, Uncommon Communion with the Father, Servant Leadership, and Radical Immediate Obedience, it's Jesus. It's all four things, right? That's what Jesus did. And so he's basically Mm -hmm. taking you through a leadership model that, is how Jesus led. And then, uh, the coach's guide to teaching. If we just wanted to get into like training environment, like that book is Philly. Like I think you've heard me talk about a little bit. I, mean, I can't tell if it's Doug Limoff or Lemoff, L E M O V, but unbelievable book. And he writes it. He had written a book for teachers that Marcus would recommend it to me. And, just about like how people retain information and how long-term memory actually and it was a book written for teachers and marcus is like i've gotten a ton of traction out of it because coaching is teaching well then doug lemoff wrote a book actually for coaches and then the best part is doug's world is soccer so all the examples in the book are from like the atlanta united academy coaches and from mls coaches and coach so every example instead of like even translating it from basketball or football, they're all soccer examples. But this book made me revisit every, I mean, I have never read a book that more often he's like, somebody says, don't do this. And I'm like, Oh, I do that all the time. And it was just like my players would tell you like my training sessions and how I approach training totally changed since reading that book. So that's not so much about maybe leadership but it's had a big impact on me because I think it's changed how I've approached training sessions and such.
1: Yeah, it is about leadership for sure. And, and I, I asked you, I wanted to make sure to ask, cause I know you're a reader and uh, you know, you're pumping the boys in the boat, summer reading for the United soccer coaches group we're in like that. I love that because you know, leaders are learners, you know, leaders are readers is what we used to say, but I think there's so many different ways to learn nowadays. If you're not continually pouring into yourself as far as that goes, and I think starting with scripture, you know, we're going to we're going to go stale. We're going to go stagnant. And, and that's something that, as you said, you're learning after doing this for however long. By the way, I'm just going to say this. Cause I'm sure Paul's thinking it like you're talking about your kids being 28, 23. You're talking about coaching for decades. And I'm like, y- you, you still look, you know, you don't look a day over 45. I mean, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying here. So <laughs> and I know you got to be older than that or else you started way too early. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you just, I, I just had to say that, you know, it, since it's audio for the most part, people, you know, Patrick's, you know looking good for however old you are so just uh, I, I could you know, i had to say it I, you know just throw it out there we're all, think, but we're all so thinking much oh, we, we're all thinking it. it exactly i mean i just had to put out you know we got to be vulnerable oh, we here, in, so. the, anyway, is in but,
0: the mail yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: so anyway hey appreciate you appreciate uh your friendship and i just get excited that we get to share this with with others so thank you so much for being a part of the show you
0: thank you guys for having me i love what you do and love listening to your podcast
1: so yeah all right folks well hey thank you for being a part of this show thank you for engaging thank you for taking what you're learning and i i there's so much good stuff in this episode i just hope that you take it and you really engage with it put it into action um these books i mean that's like a a few, you know, a couple months of reading, engaging in depth of really being able to learn. So I take, I I hope you take it all and and you use it. I, you know, check out WarriorWaySoccer.com with see what Paul and Marcy are doing, coaching the bigger game. If you want to find out what what I'm doing, you can go check that out. And, uh, you know, I just hope that you're taking all that you're learning from this show and you use it to be a better coach, better player, better spouse, better parent, better leader, better in all that you do. And you continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Great couple weeks.